It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Hey there, welcome to the newest edition of The Undercurrent. I'm Tara Sloan, happy to be with you as always. I am really excited about today's guest who I knew of but did not know that he was from the Bay Area. Uh, I had heard about American sled hockey goaltender Jen Lee, but it was in the context of making the Canadian team's lives difficult because he is uh, unbeatable, it seems. Jen helped Team USA beat Team Canada to win the gold medal at the Paralympics in Beijing, stopping every single shot, not just in that gold medal game, but in the whole tournament, every single shot. Jen is a three-time Paralympic gold medalist, a four-time world champion. Most importantly, though, he is an incredible role model. He has had to overcome tremendous adversity. And I'll tell you, hearing his story was not easy, um, but it's worth hearing, I promise you. So please take a listen. Meet Horatius Jen Lee, champion. Hey, Jen. How are you? Good. Hey, how's it going, Tara? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So I'm so excited to meet you, um, but I have to just get one thing clear. So you go by Jen, I guess, sometimes, but your given name, your first name is Horatius. Is that how I say yeah. it? Yeah, totally. Uh, it kind of have a little backstory behind that, right? You know, uh, so Jen Young, Jen Young Lee is, you know, translate to my Chinese name when I immigrated, my family immigrated here when in 95. And you know, Li Leng Yong is in you know in Mandarin it's translated as Jen Young Li. Uh, but when I when I came to the States I as an as an immigrant, everybody gets a English name. And uh, somehow my uncle, you know, it gave my the both of my older sister a regular name, but they gave me Horatius. Uh so I definitely had a lot of uh, you know, go, going into middle school, elementary and all that, I definitely had a lot of you know, eyebrows raised. But Horatius is like my American name, that's how I like to tell people. But Jen became like a go-to once uh, I served in the military and everyone was like, we can't call you Horatius. Either we call you your last name, Lee, <laughs> but they want to be more personable. They were like, and I was like, well, Jen Young, they're like, we're going to call you Jen. So uh, Jen or Jenner, uh, people like to call me, uh, they're kind of stuck. So Bay Area people call me Horatius and then Jen people call me in the state side or everywhere else. <laughs> well, and of course you are a hockey player. So of course you, your name is Jenner because everybody... Everybody in hockey has some kind of nickname that ends with ER. I'm Sloaner, you know, that's how it goes. Oh, that's right. Oh man, that yep, yep. Right. That's that true. Yeah, okay, so Sloaner. I wanna that's I wanna know when when your family came to the Bay Area, um, and what it was like for you. Yeah, totally. So, you know, um again, I always like to tell start off people to letting everybody know I'm American, you know, I am American, but I was made in Taiwan. So I was born in Taiwan in 1986 and then spent about eight years, grew up there, uh, went to, 
you know, elementary school to about third grade. And all of a sudden my, you know, my parents, you know, announced that, Hey, we're, we're, we're packing it up. We're moving to the U S you know? So um, at that time, you know, I, I am a family, I'm the youngest of three of the siblings. I have two older sisters and we got that news. It was really kind of for me, just like, Hey, we're, we're, we're going somewhere else and, and didn't think nothing of it. And in 95, we emigrated to the Bay Area, resided in Bay City, California, um, because most of my family that immigrated before us was already there. I also have cousins. My aunts and uncles is already established uh, way before of us, ahead of us and everything else. And so it was really kind of a, a interesting transition because, uh, you, you know, you, the only thing I could have thought about United States or America was just like, you know, land a big PX, what we call it, big, everything is huge, you know, big pizza, big, you know, all the, you know, Disney World. So I uh, had no idea I was going to encounter so many different things that's going to happen in my life throughout. <laughs> so um, did you have an awareness of hockey? You're, you arrived four years after the San Jose Sharks did. Was hockey part of your life when you were growing up? No, absolutely not. Uh, growing up, you know, in Taiwan, you know, I think the primary sport, it was baseball, you know, so baseball was something that I, I caught, you know, fell in love with, you know, my, my cousin in Taiwan, my friends all grew up in baseball. I got into baseball and if not, it will be some other different sport like badminton and stuff like that, but baseball and basketball and badminton, all these things like that was like kind of my primary sport. So no large knowledge of hockey, I have no idea what it was. And until really, you know, came to the state side in around fifth grade, I got introduced to hockey uh, roller inner uh, hockey, but mostly is the Mighty Ducks. Watching uh, sports movies like the Mighty Ducks or, you know, Angels in the Outfield, a huge sports fan growing up as a kid, sports uh, movies as well. So the Mighty Ducks really gave me a change of like, oh my gosh, I want to play this sport, you know? So did you strap on the skates at that point? Did you did you learn to skate in the Bay Area at all? Or, or I mean, I know you played every sport. I know you excelled at every sport. You're obviously, you know, an athlete head to toe, right? Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, at least I try. At least I give it a shot, right? You know, I was definitely love to play different types of sports growing up. But yes, uh, so that was one thing. Is either uh, inline roller was kind of huge in the Bay Area on the West Coast. So around that time, I think everyone started getting uh, some roller blades and all these things. And and I had no exposure and all that whatsoever. And I remember even in elementary, like PE recess, one of those like sports clinics, will play some sort of inline hockey or roller hockey sometimes you'll you just play with your just bare not barefooted but just regular shoes on mm-hmm. and you kind of just having a stick and going around but eventually uh one of my friend richard solomon he just say hey if you want to play some real hockey you better learn how to skate so got strapped on some skates around fifth grade and never haven't looked back but then definitely was really stuck to inline roller never got the touch got the chance to touch the ice though you know mm-hmm. What was your path through school? I mean, I know, you know, you you did track, you played varsity basketball, you know, you clearly, you know, sports was a big part of your life. So what were you on track to to do? What did you want to, I guess, be when you grew up? Yeah, wow. Uh, great question, because totally something that I knew when I was little and even coming to the state side, there was like two things I really wanted to be. And, you know, I was really fascinated. Sports was definitely part of a huge part of my life. I remember even there's looking back at a couple of baby pictures. I remember I didn't have no idea until like my parents show it to me that I had like a basketball, you know, dribbling a basketball when I was like two years already. So I knew sports has always been part of my life, but then really got a, got into the military side, you know, like watching G.I. Joe, watching all this, you know, war movies, heroic movies about 
different battles occur in the history. And it doesn't matter in the state side or in the battles in Asia, the dynasty and everything there. So I need one to be a soldier or in, in doing something part of the military, something I want to do. And it's crazy how I was able to, to in a way, accomplish or, you know, get it, you know, have to dream dream come true, able to do both in, the, in a way, in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, I mean, I not to equate sports with being in the military, because obviously the stakes are very much different, but there's a team aspect, right? There's something about being a team, um, holding up your end, not letting other people down. There's, so I, I see the through line, right? Yeah, totally. It's, it's crazy how, it, you know, in the dynamic of military and sports can have some sort of relation whether it's parallel or unparalleled indoc, but they cross paths somehow. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have the camaraderie, you have the teamwork, you know, you, you got to bring up, you know, you got to build that leadership and then that, that confidence in, in the locker room in the sports realm, but also in the unit, in the military, you know, your the people that you served with left and right, your squad, your platoon, they're all as important. It, but at the same time, it's about, you know, accomplishing one task, uh, from you know building it together solidly foundation and then try to achieve something that you know you haven't been done before uh, the only difference is obviously you know military you know you're looking more serious into the life type of comparison sure. where sports is you know if you lose you can you know live and fight another day in that type of sense yeah right mm -hmm. so yes the stakes are very high so you enlisted in the army in 2004 um so what what was your track what was your aim yeah wow i mean to me at that time, uh, I was, I want to be just kind of like being the front line. I think in 2001, September 11, 2001, I was a sophomore in high school. Those things were, you know, it made a huge impact where, you know, first time in my, in my life at that time, I felt like the, the patriotism of, of my country, of our country, and, and just kind of bring that sense of like everyone, you know, brought it together. So fast forward, you know, after graduating 2004, I wanted to to serve, but I just really would have thought, you know, just watching the movie and all these things, it was just going to be like some sort of infantry, uh, army ranger, airborne type of stuff. And, but then my dad was like, nope, halt, you cannot do that. Uh, we we got to make sure that you're, you, if you are joined, you know, he, they were definitely against it, mm -hmm. but he eventually saw the passion and the determination I want to be in the military. And so he said, I'll make a deal because, because the fact is I wanted to, I signed up when I was before I was 18. So it was like a, before I was an adult. So obviously at that time, my dad said, well, I'd make a deal. If, you, if I let you go in the army, look into the United in the military, then I pick the job for you. You know, so he picked a, uh, something that was going to help me down the road or benefit me once I get out. And I became an aircraft electrician mechanic working on helicopters, but at the same time, just, you know, I'm glad that my dad did that for me because it just mm -hmm. led me into a different path and everything else. But you were, I mean, maybe not on the frontline front lines, but you were deployed to Iraq. So you did see action. I, 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 I served one tour, come back to Iraq, you know, spend a lot of time, you know, not just like these guys go get outside the wire all the time, right. On, on convoys and missions and whatnot, kicking down doors, you know, you know, I'm, I'll be the last person to tell you, you know, just, Oh my gosh, I've seen all, you know, I'll, I'll be lying mm -hmm. to you. Right. But definitely have experience through different type of uh, different encounters or, or just even being on the flight line, we call it, and, and different things where we're loading up, you know, the helicopters getting ready to to, to go on a mission or in and between missions where they need to refuel, resupply, re, uh, you know, 
putting, you know, put the ammos back on the rockets and the enemies knew where the helicopter was. The enemies knew where, where everything was. So they're just trying to lop, bomb or lop as much as rockets and mortars to, to destroy us, you know, to kill us. <laughs> I mean, this is such a delicate subject for, for so many people. Um, I, I don't even know how to ask this. Like, how was being there for you? Um, is there is there residue? Is it does it feel hard for you in retrospect? You know, I, I'm not gonna lie. Like to me, you know, I was young. I got there when I was 20. I spent 20, my 20 and 21 year of the 20th and my 21st birthday there, right? So I was a very very young, uh, young guy, young person, young man, and. So the mentality, I would say, you know, between 20 to mid 20 to 30, it all changes. But I know that time, you know, you know, being hurt, being injured definitely wasn't back in my mind, just knowing that you're just kind of like wanting to get into the things you want to get into the, 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 the bad side of things, right? You want to get into the firefights or, or seeing things, uh, but just kind of, you know, reflecting back afterwards and knowing that we have lost, you know, I have lost, you know, people that I served with in my units and knowing that, you know, when things were started getting serious and around that time when we were there in 2006 and 2007, it was a very crucial time. There was a lot of battles. There was a lot of fight going on. So um, you definitely have an effect knowing that you're not just going to be your view towards either the political side of it or the world or people it's going to change drastically dynamically for sure. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up fast? I did. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I still feel like a kid and child from, <laughs> from time to time. Uh, but for sure, you know, at that, in those moments where, you know, you're going to be there for the long haul, you have to grow up fast or if mm -hmm. not, it's going to eat you up really quick, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, you made it intact. You got out of there. And then I guess there's sort of a, a tragic irony to what happened. Your life changed in, in 2009 with a motorcycle accident. So uh, if you could tell us what happened. Yeah, uh, kind of crazy because, you know, I was still in the service at that time. And at that time, I was already in a different unit. I was, you know, I deployed. Um, it's a pretty, what I'm saying is like pretty military lingo. So I deployed with the uh, 25th, which is the the divisions and out of Hawaii, so that that was the time I was, you know, when I was in Iraq, I was with the, the division with Hawaii. I was with the Hawaii and serving Hawaii with the division there, right? So in 2009, fast forward, I was in Georgia. I was in a different unit, different company. And we were actually about seven months out, eight months out, going to a second deployment while I was already getting ready for my second deployment, and this time to Afghanistan. Uh, but little did I know in March 2000, you know, March 21st, 2009, just a regular Saturday and, and, you know, I, I ride motorcycles. I've been riding since, you know, when I was little and also got exposed to mopeds and two wheelers when I was stationed in Hawaii. So, you know, riding motorcycle wasn't just a new thing to me. And again, um, in a way, one chapter closes open up another, but, you know, I didn't feel at that time, did not know what was going to happen, but I got hit by a vehicle while I was, you know, riding down Jacksonville, Florida, and yeah, just resulted of uh, losing my leg completely above the knee and um, just had no idea what was I going to do? Was I going to even, can I even walk, run? Can I even continue to serve my country? So uh, a lot of my, but a lot of my, my buddies and also my boss that time, they were 
they had no idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure different people grieve that situation differently and in different amounts of time. Um, I mean, did you, were you able to move on quickly? Did you take some time to actually mourn? Um, what, like, what was your mindset at that point? Uh, it was definitely tough. I think it was like a 70, 30, uh, moving quickly was definitely, it definitely took, didn't take me that long to move, you know, to move forward or just like, uh, you know, put, put it behind me. But I think just a, I'm always trying to look at different outlook ways to, you know, turning a negative to a positive. So I know there was definitely, uh, you know, different type of signs that, that people were just like saying, wow, you know, you're able to handle this pretty well, right? So people saw that. But I think really the dark time was like the fact that like, you know, I was still angry. I There was still a lot of like the why me type of question. And, you know, there was also, you know, the accident was just, wasn't just involving me, you know, when the vehicle struck me, it was also involved that side of, you know, the, the driver and the people that was in that vehicle. So there was also death and part uh, death involved, which mm. I, I felt very, very bad for, you know, just didn't think that, you know, this type of accident was going to happen. Uh, so for sure, you know, like the wind wasn't blowing the right way. I was probably crying, you know, um, right. I remember there's even time that, that, you know, clutching around with one leg or that when I finally got out of the bed and able to start clutching around and finally got to see myself in the rear view mirror, uh, looking at myself in the mirror. I mean, I, I realized I was like, oh my God, like it just was not normal to me. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, I can't, it's the unfathomable and I'm sure it was unfathomable to you until, until it happened. Um, what did it mean for your military service at that point? Yeah, it was still, so it was very questionable. Right. But luckily, you know, that's when I would, so I was, you know, the accident happened in Savannah. So I was doing my, start beginning my real rehabilitation or my physical therapy and treatment uh, for my leg about a few weeks later. And then about a couple months later, they, I got the order saying that they're going to transfer me to San Antonio because that's the actual rehab center uh, for soldiers like myself who were either in a traumatic accident or they were injured in combat, you know, wounded in combat where they lost one or two or very severely physically physical limbs or physical amputations. So Center for the Intrepid and was was the rehab center here in San Antonio, Texas. And really that kind of just gave me a different outlook and motivation because it gave me another sense of life or hope, hmm. knowing that wow, you know, maybe I am going to be okay. So to answer that question, it was from unknowing to coming here and realize, well, I can still maybe continue to serve my country if I get this rehab done and, and get out, get out moving and going the right direction the right way, you know? So when did sled hockey come into your life? Because this is, I, I think, such a remarkable program. Yes. So hockey was something that never, you know, after, I will say, after playing inline roller, right, something I mentioned earlier, around Freshman year in high school, I was going to Oceana at that time. Oceana was Oceana High School is a school in Pacifica located there, and they were, they were like the last school that had some sort of hockey program. So, but then they cut. By the time I got there as a freshman, they actually completely cut the sport. So I never thought about hockey again. I never thought that I was going to play hockey, even though I loved the sport of it. Even though I knew that hey, I maybe this is something I can fall in love with. 
But again, just haven't looked back since freshman year in high school. So then until I rehab, began my rehab down here in San Antonio. And, you know, one of the one of the great things that the the rehab center and the hospital have to offer from the military base, it's the it's the adaptive sports. So adaptive sports is something that they want to incorporate for, you know, injured, wounded service members like myself, because it's, you know, Sports, it's a big, big part of a great rehab uh, program, therapeutic program. So I tried different things. I, I you know, I got into a wheelchair basketball. I got into to golfing, you know, sitting volleyball, and then came to closer to around the winter time. They were like, "How would you like to try sled hockey?" And I was like, "Sled hockey? Like, what is that?" You know, they were like. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, just and then, but then I was still kind of surprised. I was like, man, you guys can even make something like you know, like a, this, you know, a sport, a, a, you know, modify, you know, hockey into adaptive, you know. So I was kind of surprised. They explained it to me, and it was like, well, practice starts, you know, Monday. Do you want to go? So we went to the local ice rink that they held practices uh, for the military veterans that want to get into sled hockey, and really. I, I, that's, I really kind of haven't looked back since, but I fell in love that day and realized, wow, like how cool this sport was, you know, how cool sled hockey was. It was so important. For for people who haven't seen it, can you describe it? Yeah. So sled hockey is a disabled sport. So it's a Paralympic sport, right? And instead of playing using, instead of uh, using skates or skating with your boots on, we're sitting in this custom design bucket or in a sled. And instead of having one stick, like the able body, we call the able body like a regular hockey. Instead of like a regular hockey with one stick, we have two sticks. We modify into two shorter stick lengths. And how we able to use it to, to move, to propel it, or to, you know, cut and all these things or shoot the puck is we have these type of metal picks that we have at the end of the shaft. And you're pretty much grabbing two sticks to, to pick the ice in a way using these metal picks. And then you got to, and then the hand-eye coordination, that's when you got to, you know, have to figure it out because you're using the end of the shaft to skate. But then obviously when the puck comes to your stick, you still got to be able to transition and rotate and then using either right hand or left hand to stop the puck or to shoot, you know, right hand or left hand off the puck. And then goalie is a little bit different too, because now you're not using legs anymore as well to making the butterfly safe or using your leg pad. In a way, you're using your arm to move to position yourself, and but make sure that is fast enough to stop a puck. So, uh, and, but everything is pretty much the same, with except within the rules of like couple rules, you know, changes, you know, like T-bone and and all that. But it is still a fast-paced physical sport. The 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 length, the the size of the ring is still the same. It's still a six-on-six. Right, you know, five players plus the goalie, six on six. The net, the regulation, of the net, still the same. And no, we do not use a wheelchair. We're not in a wheelchair on the ice. We get that. I get that a lot too. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I, so yeah. I have. I'm Canadian. So I have actually tried, Ooh. and we call it sledge hockey, but right. sled hockey mm-hmm. um, yeah. with Billy Bridges. And I. Have oh my god seeing that yeah. guy shoot and how fast his shots are. So what made you want to? be between the net and a shot from a guy like Billy Bridges as a goalie. Why yeah. did that become your position? Yeah. Well, before I dive in, you know, Billy Bridges, one of the, you know, all time greats of this Canadian stage hockey team player. Uh, definitely have seen him battle through against us on the ice. Uh, he's definitely one of the uh, 
a fierce player. He shot three, he definitely scored on me a few times uh, in front of him. So that's so cool that you got to know Billy Bridges, but he's, you know, cool, cool uh, really good guy too off mm-hmm. the ice. Um, yeah, I think really I started, I got into goalie right away in sled hockey because roller uh, growing up too, when I was playing roller hockey, I did try to come out, they did try to skate, you know, as a four, as a defenseman, and I just didn't have the footwork, you know, and they were, you know, back in the day, I, you know, they're just like, hey, if you, you're not great at skating, man, just get in front of the net and stop some puck, maybe, maybe that's, that's the last line, and then I think at that time, a lot of my hockey buddies were just like, man, we might not pick up a race because uh, this guy is not that great, you know, so they stick me in the net, and it just became a natural position for me, uh, believe it or not, I just, uh, just able to kind of copy you know the the style Patrick Raw or Niemi at that time and and you know Dominic Hasek and I was just like it's cool to see the duets they can do that and and just kind of like transition in that and roller hockey and they were like yo you're actually pretty good like you're pretty decent playing goaltending you know so every time we have a street hockey game or some sort of small kind of recreational stuff they they were like we need a goalie come on in you know and I, and I enjoyed it it's not like other goalies who hated it. And he's like, oh my gosh, I hate stopping pucks because they had no choice, right? So, uh, so for sure, sled hockey, that was the only position I knew. So when I knew that, hey, there was sled hockey, they were like, hey, what position do you want to play? I'll be like, I'm going to give this goalie a try. Okay, so obviously it worked out for you. How did you become elevated to international competition? Because it's one thing to sort of try the sport out. It's another thing to all of a sudden be representing your country. Yeah, totally. Uh, so 2009, you know, again, I, I got into sled hockey with the military on the military base. And this was a part of the therapeutic programs they, they, you know, one of the therapeutic programs they provided. So, you know, in a way, I, I had, I didn't think nothing, I had no idea what Paralympic was. I had no idea the difference between all that and, and everything else. I didn't even know how a league can go. You know, just just because I was everything's so brand new. The the word disabled was brand new to me. The the whole thing mm-hmm. was brand new to me. So um, you know, fast forward to three months in, you know, in the in the practice with these guys, and then um, the the person in charge, Janice, uh, who she was running the, she was from Operation Comfort, and James Rosowski. She was like, hey, how would you like to join our travel team? I was like, travel team. And she was like, yeah, we compete, you know, with other sled hockey teams. I'm like, there are other sled hockey teams out there? And little did I know, they call it the Midwest League, and then it consists of, like, Chicago, St. Louis, Colorado, and San Antonio is going to bring their own team. And I, I, I compete in those those competitions and those league, in that league. And little did I know, there was also current and past Paralympians and mm-hmm. coaches that was from the national team because they're, I guess they were doing their scouting or maybe they're just doing their evaluating and I had no idea, played a couple of games and someone just came up to me like, you got to go try out for the national team. Like, I think you have like a good shot. Not sure you will make it the first year, but you never know. But it just seems like you pick up the score faster, well, he's in the goaltending position faster than some of these guys who started and then it's been like two years in. Right. Um, so when a tryout the following year, um, you know, I started playing in October and then the following summer, the July, I went a trial on the national team, Rochester, New York for Team USA. And um, they, they were like, we, we want you, we want you, you know, you're going to be our number two goalie for the, you know, the number two spot for the team roster. So I was like, Holy smokes. 
<laughs> well, and you were number two behind Steve Cash, who's a U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer, legend of the sport. Um, yeah. And you get to go to Sochi, you get to go to Pyeongchang. So first of all, let's talk about your your years backing him up um, and yep. kind of that that relationship and, and what you learned from him. Yeah, wow. You know, um, Steve, I just talked to him like over not too long ago. We were actually hosting our second uh Steve and Jen Lee cash goalie camp together in St. Louis, Missouri. That's going to happen in April. Um, but yeah, like my first year rookie uh, going into tryouts and all these things, you know, I, you know, of course I did my research. I'm like, who is the number one goalie? Well, who is the number two goalie at that time? And, you know, Steve, the Steve and the national team just had just got back from the Paralympic games in Vancouver. That was back in 2010. They won gold and just hearing about how he had, Shut out, you know, he didn't allow a single goal. So that was like tall order. And and then he also won an SBA that year too for you know disabled male athlete of the year. So there was definitely a huge high competition to go against. And you know, I think when he found out I made the team and then we were rooming together, I think it was just clearly kind of like at first it was like a looking as a competitor. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, you know, he obviously knows that hey you know, who was his new goalie, you know, all these things. So there was definitely a frictions or maybe some sort of like, hey, we're teammates, but I know that in goaltending, there's only one position, right? So all these things, but for sure, he was the top dog, right? For sure, he was the number one guy, the staff, and then the, his teammates, everyone. He's definitely the go he's definitely the man, the guy in the net. But, um, you know, I, I would say didn't take no more than half a season going in the first year for him to really kind of mentor me, to kind of uh, showing his side of who he is. And, man, he's a down-to-earth down guy, great teammate, great leader, and really just anything that he saw, you know, that he was just like, hey, I will do this, or, hey, maybe you will try to, you know, it doesn't really matter what's from the equipment side of it or the, the game or the style or how I move. And then it's just like watching him became almost like, just like, oh, my God, it's like, you know, it was like, this is the playbook. This, you know, this is like the, you know, if you want to become the best goaltender, mm -hmm. this is right there in front of you. And, and I'm not going to lie. Like I became a fan watching him making save after save and, you know, playing against the Canadians and different international countries, you know, year in, year out and stuff like that. Yeah. Playing yeah. against the Canadian, you know, I'm going to lose my Canadian citizenship talking to you because <laughs> your U.S. team has been absolutely unsolvable for the Canadians and an yeah. endless source of frustration. So I know because I was like, oh, my gosh, when you told me you're from Canada <laughs> and you knew Billy Bridges, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I wonder if they're going to listen to this podcast, you know, these things because I was like, yeah, like um, and, and it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that uh, when I was a rookie or first two, three years on the team, like Canada used to kick our butt. They used to kick our ass, you know, like, um, and then there was like a, a huge, uh, Steve can tell you this too. And then he, he, you know, he shared stories that were, he was getting lit up by the Canadians. They call them Swiss cheese that, you know, light up like a Christmas tree, all kinds of stuff, like bunch of chirps. And so then now it's almost like, you know, the last few years, you know, like the dominance of us, it's almost like now the table has turned like a seesaw mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely no i'm sure billy of course will uh will i'm gonna get him to weigh in on on you and how difficult it is to face you but uh i'm sure it's it's all friendly off the ice but as soon as competition starts you know i, I know it's a different matter um so i'm gonna get to you know when when you became 
the starter and your experience in, in Beijing, which was unbelievable. But I know that there was also a time where you, you, you took a break from the game. Um, I know your mom, mom was ill. Um, talk about that period and how you kind of regrouped and, and got back into it. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. 2014, you know, so made the team in 2011, right. Uh, the, after the Vancouver season and, you know, the goal was to make it a Sochi and, and just, you know, try to see this, this thing, this dream becomes a reality that type of way. And was able to do all that and able to go to Sochi and, and, and represent my country. And, and then, you know, able to just, you know, cherish that with my teammates and for me the first time. And after afterwards, it was really kind of rough for me because at that time, yeah, my mom was battling tumor and that was something that uh, she's been battling through uh, since I was in high school, you know. So she was going through, going on 10 years in 2004. And that was another thing too, which is tough, which in 2004, uh, when she found out she had a brain tumor, that's when I actually was on my way going to the army, you know, so leaving. Right. So that, that dynamic uh, forever changed because of the fact that, you know, that, that I just couldn't be there for my mom, you know, as much as I could compared to my sisters. So uh, my mom passed away in December, 2014. Uh, our Paralympic Games was around, you know, March, March or April at that time frame of February. So it was kind of like uh, going into the summer. Here we have another trial. By the time, by that time, at that time, I was also, knowing my mom was kind of battling through that, but, you know, I have my own personal demons and personal, you know, different, different type of issues that I was going through. Uh, so I simply didn't, didn't do it right. I simply didn't handle it by, by trying to talk to, uh, you know, my coaches or my general manager to say, Hey, I may consider want to take a year off or I, you know I mean? It was more like, I just felt like, you know, I didn't owe anybody an explanation. So I kind of just give a simple text that I'm going through something. I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then at the same time, um, I was still a young athlete. I was a young player, you know. So um, there was definitely different type of uh, attitude or demeanor that came off. It maybe just didn't sit right by the coaching staff that time. And so when I took a year off and I did, and, and then thinking after – Going through all that the following season, I felt great, I felt fresh. So of course, I went back to tryout, and I, and then even at that time, over that year, um, you know, during that tryout, I felt I felt good. I felt like, hey, I, I think I'm good enough to at least make the team, make back, make it back, or at least uh, make it on the development team, which is a like a minor league team or a team below the national team. And um, no, that wasn't the case. They they mm -hmm. cut me. Yeah, mm -hmm. they cut me right on the spot. And uh, it was like definitely a, a, a lesson learned about what happened, why did it happen. And I think, I, you know, in a way, I would say anyone, right, as an athlete perspective, right, as an athlete perspective, anyone can have that sense of pride and, and, and that ego and be like, oh, I got cut because the coaching staff is, you know, they're blind or, or they just, you know, type of different reasons, right? And that, and that I think that could have been good enough to, to, to use that then and then to say hey man you know at least I have one you know at least I went to the games one time I had my one shot I gotta go I'm good but you know I was hungry I was hungry for for why not making the team but at the same time 
it was a great way to realize, hey, there's a lot of things that I need to mature and grow. Mm-hmm. And and really a good lesson overall to understand that it wasn't just about myself. You know, that it just wasn't about me and, and, and why did they make that decision and everything else? Because it had an effect on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I understand that meditation, um, you know, was a great tool for you and probably I would imagine still is. I think once you, once you learn, you know, about meditation, it's hard to lose it from your life completely. Um, did, was that kind of, did that help you at that time? Yeah. No, uh, I'm it's so, so cool. You brought it up, but not going to lie meditation, all that stuff. So it was not really until after 2018, um, hmm. So it was actually two games later, like, or, you know, I was able to figure out because that was another different type of life, different part of my journey that I that I went through. Um, you know, for me, it just, you know, I, I, I was I was going through, a, you know, where I found I figured out one thing and then there's another different challenges. I guess it's just it's about life or at least that's, yeah. uh, my journey has been. Right. Uh, so for me, just to, you know, I, I knew meditation was spiritually, uh, you know, I. I would tell my friends and, my, and everyone else that, you know, that I was born a Buddhist because my family was Buddhist. My parents are Buddhist and developed Buddhist. My dad is. But I never knew anything about Buddhism. Like I never studied about Buddhism, right? So really uh, that time where after did make it in 2018, made all the way, make, you know, got cut, right? But then eventually made my way back, going through all the different types, you know, waking up at four in the morning, driving to Austin to go to school, making the ice time, all these things, all these things. Uh, but then after 2018, there was this, this kind of personal still struggle where it's always there. It's always been there. And I realized that if I don't seek sort of, if I don't seek for help and if I don't seek out either, you know, seeking help through different type of resources or spiritually, I knew that uh, my path will be walking in a very dark, dark side. Hmm. So meditation was something that I got a got into not until not it wasn't right there and then, but it was not until 2018. Hmm. And yes, uh, it definitely has helped me through a lot of different clarity because it's just um, it's just the way of life sometimes. <laughs> so my I grew up in a Buddhist family as well. So I've oh no way yeah, which is oh uh, that's awesome yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I try to, I try to incorporate meditation into my life every day, even if it's just for a few minutes, but, um, yeah, Yeah. once you know the, the, the power of, you know, just being still (laughs) and being with your thoughts, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's invaluable. So, okay. So now let's, let's get to your, your absolutely star performance in 2022. And again, this is where I, I continue to be shunned by Canadians because uh, the gold medal game was against Canada. But this is so wild. You did not allow a single goal through four games. Uh, you had a a 0.00 goals against average. So that's, I mean, that's what that means when you don't allow a single goal. What went right for you? You know, I'll be, you know, I'll be lying to, you know, to everybody or to you if I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, just, you know, I was able to, you know, get in my, get in my craft and just kind of in the zone, all these things. I think what worked is the fact that our, us as a team kind of just clicked, you know, everything that we kind of worked for and, the, you know, didn't matter if it was just the, you know, from the COVID, the, the stop and the, the COVID and, and then the, the unexpected announcement 
of CV, of retirement, mm. and, and then trying to get all that. So, like, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of things need to be get it together in a little, so many little time. And us, and then just having the best guy in the world, Declan Farmer, the best player in the world, you know, in, you know, top three players that was, you know, to me, in my eyes are, you know, on our team, Declan Farmer, Brody Roybo, Jack Wallace, you know, Captain, even Josh Pauls are in the mix of like, you know, like the, you know, all those things like took the the chemistry, the the different little details, situation, all that to to play in that game, you know, to play, you know, to to able to have the result we wanted. But at the same time, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like those guys, like you know, our defensemen, you know, really took care of us. You know, me and Griff, we, we they just made our job easier. They make they gave us the easy save option, right? Instead of you know, giving up breakaways or things like that. So I think it's just overall, man, the, the, our guys in front of us really took care of us, man. We took care for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes, of course it, it is a team sport and you can't, you can't do it alone. Um, but stopping every, every shot, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. So what happens now yeah. or it's, it's 2024, um, mm-hmm. two more years from the next Paralympics. Um, are you still in it? Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal, right? 2026, I still got a lot left in my tank, you know. I feel pretty good. We, we you know, we had the world to move straws last year, and we're we're getting ready to set another world. We got the announcement that there's, you know, another world championship is going to be happening this season. Uh, that's going to be, how, oh, it's actually in Calgary. Yeah, we'll be in Calgary in May, from May to, from May, end of May to, like, beginning of June. So we're going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep, keep, uh, trucking until 2026 and hopefully but knowing having experienced the last three games and knowing like every team is different for every game and in between the four years things can always happen so I'm definitely not really trying to consider like oh yeah it's a guarantee nothing is ever guaranteed uh something that I know for sure it's just you know you, you live right you live for the moment you live for the present and tomorrow is just you know something happens good or bad you kind of deal with it then but you know that's the plan, that's the hope. But we're ho- I'm hopefully that it you know goes goes smoothly. You know, no injuries and and uh, I still can play well. Yeah, until then. And you're helping. You know, you're you're doing camps all over the place. You're you're helping. I guess the next generation of, of players learn the sport. How rewarding is that? Yeah, I think it's really rewarding. I think it's just something that you know something that was exposed to us. You know, exposed to me uh, for sure. Like even as a rookie where we had the chance to do different different training camps all over the US but in, in the training camp uh we do have people with different disabilities who want to try out set hockey or who people players who may not able to compete at a high level due to their physical limitations and and but then they'll come out stay with us or have a, like a you know a good you know meet the national team kind of day meet and greet uh, no, no difference than the San Jose Sharks will do that with their local communities and whatnot. And I think it's just totally, and at first it was definitely an eye opening because knowing how much, you know, that we actually do make an impact to, to them in the community. And, and um, I think one thing that was always something that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, it's, you know, still can't believe it. You know, I was here like, right. Uh, my teammates, but they were like, oh, I want to be like, Steve Cash, I want to play like Declan, or I want to be, you know, and then one day just, you know, I, I was still a backup goaltender at that time. And they were like, man, I like, I seen you playing your club. I seen you play one or two games internationally. Like, 
you know, I really, you know, I've been following you. I was like, what? You've been following me. So like, uh, I think things like that, just knowing that like to continue to grow the sport, continue to give, uh, pay it forward. I think it's important uh, because it's not a, it's, the battle doesn't end here. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's uh, some different parts of cities and, and whatnot across the country, disability or disabled sports still only looking at it such a small view, right? Tunnel vision. And we're hoping that one day it would just be as equal level as possible compared to able-bodied and stuff. It is a remarkable sport. I urge anybody and everybody to check it out. It's so fast. It's so physical. It's so hard. I'll, I, I'll send you the video of me trying it out. It's, I couldn't, right. I couldn't okay. stay upright. Like, and every time I fell, Billy would have to come and help me up. Cause it, I mean, it's just, it requires so much core strength. It's, it's a wild sport. Yeah, that's that's awesome because I was gonna say I was gonna ask you if you ever got the chance to try it, and then if you actually play hockey yourself, or you know if you were a, a you know able-bodied hockey player, fire, or just a fan, or maybe just you know, I'm just a fan. Just... I'm I'm a poor skater. Um, yeah, but my skating ability doesn't translate into sledge hockey. Like it was, I was hopeless. Yeah, we're about we're about in Canada. Which part of Canada? Which province you came came from? I well, I grew up in Nova Scotia. But I was in Toronto okay. for for lot many years. But I actually tried yeah. sledge hockey with Billy um, in Prince Edward Island, which is his yep. home his, his home home province. So, yep. Uh, but I yeah, I urge everybody to to check it out and especially live because I think it's just it's so remarkable. Um, John, I was just going to leave you with one one question. When you kind of think back over this journey um, in sled hockey specifically. What, what do you feel? Is it a sense of gratitude? What, what is it? You know, I, I would say sled hockey definitely made a huge impact on my life, uh, especially, you know, the, the new chapter. You know, to me, it just, you know, it gave me the sense of bringing back of the camaraderie. You know, when I was, when I got, when I started playing, you know, when I started playing sled hockey, it was all military veterans. And I think that was something that I really missed knowing the fact that I may not be able to serve again. But at the same time, when, you know, got in, made it to the national team and it was exposed to the Paralympic side and, and that, that world of different types of, you know, people and engagement. And, and, and you should realize like how, you know, I'm, I'm very, very blessed of where the situation because you know i had the chance to go back to taiwan got a good chance to go see different countries because of sled hockey where you know um dis you know disability or disabled is still not as equal as par as compared to the united states yes we may have a lot of you know still have a lot of rooms to improve but for sure you know just acknowledgement of our physical attributes and, and knowing that we can still do so much more than just selling a packet, you know, packets of gum on the street or just being looked at as inferior, you know, elsewhere. Uh, it is something definitely know that, you know, it's not, you know, people before me have put a lot of different energy and effort to make changes for the better. And, and really that change is not about your self-pride, self accomplishment it's about hey you're doing it because you know it has impact you know you personally has impacted people that got involved in this sport or disabled sports and and they're trying to become better and and be better for the whole as a whole so i think 
you know, gratitude, you know, the whole, you know, being understanding, appreciated, and, and, and continue to know that, that I will forever be, be, be grateful and, you know, bless the fact that, you know, somehow, some way, you know, I didn't get thrown out, you know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't get hurt and they just be like, you're, you're done. And then boom, and the society kind of say, Hey, you know, you're still part of us and you can still do great things. And I think that's, that's really wonderful. And I think it's so important for people to be able to see you do it. And uh, we're all watching. And I want to thank you for your service um, as a member of the military. And thank you for, well, I'll just, thank you on behalf of the residents of the United States <laughs> for representing Team USA in such a remarkable way. Um, but you're just, you're a role model through and through. So um, thank you for thank that. You. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you again for reaching out. You know, just a uh, small world that we're able to connect uh, because, through, again, through hockey, right? You know, so, yeah, great community to be part of. And you have to promise me that if uh, if you're back in the Bay Area and you want to check out a hockey game, you let me know, please. Oh, I definitely will, for sure. I definitely will be like, hey, man, you know, I need some tickets. And I'm just kidding. Yeah, but definitely <laughs> I'll, get you to I'll get you tickets. Um, thank you for taking <laughs> thank you for taking the time. Really, it yeah, means a lot. For sure. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank Jen for his time, or should I say, I want to thank Horatius for his time. Uh, conversations like that, I got to tell you, they put things in perspective. Jen is, um, his story is remarkable. He's been through a lot and his outlook on life is, uh, I think something that we could all aspire to. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I have these pinch me moments where I'm like, I get to talk to people like that for a living. How lucky am I? Um, so Jen, thank you. And thank you everybody out there who's listening to the podcast. I think I'm supposed to encourage people, by the way, to, uh, leave a review and a rating. I think that helps us. So why don't you go ahead and do that? <laughs> um, and I'll be back in another couple of weeks with, uh, another edition of the undercurrent with, um, somebody you need to know and another great conversation to come in the meantime, everybody keep your fins above water. I'll talk to you soon.